This episode of the Detox Podcast is brought to you by Rebel Riot Printing. Celebrating their 10th year in business, Rebel Riot is locally owned and family operated, offering custom printed tees with no minimums and fast turnaround. And by Bitsbox. Bitsbox teaches kids to code, real JavaScript, real devices, and really fun. Hands down the most fun way for curious kids ages 6 to 14 to learn coding. Use promo code DETOX for $20 off any subscription order of $50 or more. That's D-T-A-L-K-S DETOX for $20 off any order of $50 or more with BitsBox. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a podcast for dads where this dad talks about life, kids, and stuff. I am your host, Joe Shaw. And on today's episode, I do a recap of 2018. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. There were a lot of people who had asked for a type of clip show, a sort of uh, 2018 recap of some of the best moments of the Detox Podcast. And while it was very difficult to condense it down into a clip show, I have done that for you, presenting you six specific segments that I hope will represent the exact humor and heart of the Detox Podcast, not only in 2018, but moving forward and beyond. As you know, I started the show with two hosts, and now I am going solo. But regardless, I have chosen six specific segments that I think that if you are new to the show, you can use to get familiar with what type of content you can expect. And if you're a longtime listener, I hope you will enjoy this kind of recap for the year. And be sure to introduce it to people that are brand new and maybe getting to know the podcast for the first time. So Without much further ado, I want to let you know how the show will be structured. We will start uh, with our episode with Todd Pipes, where he discusses what does music mean in 2018, and he also shares a brief story of uh, what it was for him to be top of the pops in the UK. Uh, We'll shift from there to talk to bare minimum parent author James Breakwell on why be a bare minimum parent, what that means to him. And then we'll start shifting gears into more of the heart aspects of what the Detox Podcast brings to you, starting with Juan Vidal, the author of Rap Dad, about how to bridge the divide between people in this day and age. Then we'll pivot to Jacinto Ramos Jr. about the role education plays in a student's life. And then we'll finish out with two segments, first with Whit Honey talking about gendered toys and how we can kind of change that stigma moving forward into 2019 and beyond. And we'll wrap up with our episode with Pat Doney, where he discusses his personal journey with his son's diagnosis with cerebral palsy and how it's helped him and his family grow overall. A lot of great content, a lot of just great year in review, and there were a lot of great guests and episodes that unfortunately got left on the cutting room floor, but don't think you weren't important to the overall podcast in 2018. I just tried to do my very best to grab six specific segments and give you a taste of what the podcast is all about. So without further ado, we'll get started right after this. very cool especially nowadays because music is so kind of everywhere i was uh i actually went to i was having a conversation with my sister-in-law yesterday i went by a record store to uh actually i found a copy of home deep blue something the cassette tape which you'd never seen before never seen it yeah and uh, (laughs) and also picked up a cd copy and i was in there and i was browsing through and i was remembering like years ago when i would go to record stores every weekend and just like spend a couple hours combing through listening to like getting home listening to them and uh, one of my best friends was in a band, and so we would like listen to our songs, and then we would talk about what we liked and what we didn't like about our favorite artists. And I wonder if almost nowadays we're so like it's so readily available that you start like almost losing a little bit of an appreciation for like setting aside time to listen to it. At least that's kind of an observation I had. I, I think that that's right as far as overall value, or right. or, or the way most people kind of consume music, right? Because like. You know, I notice, you know, in the, in the classes I teach, the kids don't write band names on their notebooks anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. You know, right. it, it's just, it's peripheral to them. Yeah. It's things that, it's something that's playing in the background of their video games that they're playing. Yeah. But oh, it's, but they don't consume it in the same way. They'll all go to a concert. Right. 
hey man, we're going so, and they'll just all go, and they maybe maybe have heard something, maybe they haven't, but it's a social thing, right? Which is very very different. Yeah. But what I've noticed with my son and some of the other kids that are really into it because of Spotify, which I do not like, but they kind of go down the rabbit hole of Spotify. Oh, sure. this band likes this other band. I need to check this. And then next thing you know, they're they're just consuming insane amounts of music, which is great. It's just sad that most people, it does. It, there's no value assigned to it anymore. Yeah. Well, he, um, John's brother was one of his friends. Like, challenged him to basically put ten albums out in ten days. Like the the albums that are kind of like <laughs> his yeah, favorites. The, and I brought, yeah, I brought a. Oh, like, oh, I thought you meant like challenge your brother no, to record ten. No. I'm like, no, and release them. That, that is yeah. impossible. And, and he yeah. did it, and it all sucked. <laughs> <laughs> but it's. Uh, I know what you're saying. But, but he talked, and, and and I brought to the point of like because he's talking about oh yeah I used to digest this and mm-hmm. it's. I mean, John and I did it. Like we would we we worked at a job or a second shift. We were talking about it on the way over here and. Sometimes in between on our lunch, we would go to these different, the seat, like the UCD places that were around. Yeah, yeah. And we would find like these obscure albums from the labels that we liked. Yeah. And then we would listen to them on the way home back. And I know that we did that on our spare time. And it's like I would spend hours listening to these records and stuff, or CDs, but you know, records. And it's like I know them front to back, side to side, and all that. Whereas kids, I, I feel like nowadays, like you said, with Spotify, they don't know, I don't like this, and they just skip on to the next song. Right, and they don't give it a chance. Whereas if yeah. you've invested $12, yeah. you're going <laughs> to you have one you're thing gonna, to listen to. And you're <laughs> going to listen to the second side of that record, and you yeah. might figure out, oh, man, that one that I didn't like yesterday is my favorite yeah. one. It's starting to grow yeah. on you. You yeah. learn new things about it. It's, yeah. like, it's I got, very interesting. i got to wonder in 15 years if kids will look back on with the same nostalgia that you know that John and I look back yeah, and listen like, to. Remember that Logan Paul song yeah. or whatever <laughs> that guy's yeah. name is. But it's like we, we look back I get and it's the like the right one. I don't I even know. know. You know, we've all heard our parents say like, "Oh, that's a good song," and then yeah. when you say that, you're like, "Oh crap, I'm old." Yeah. But it's like I, I wonder if kids nowadays are going to hear like the, the one hit wonder that you never that are like a blip on the radar. It's a, and, be all YouTuber. Yeah, and it's and then it's about. they're never going to hear that on the radio and be like, oh, "Yeah, that's a good song." Yeah. You or, know? Yeah. Or man, it's like, oh man, the first date, like your mother and I were on our first date and this song came on the radio and I looked into her eyes and all those cheesy stories that, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. that like people tell. But it's just, you know, it's the, I don't I, yeah, feel I, like kids get that nowadays. Not, or, not a lot of Or even them. adults. I, like, I don't think that they do. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's not, just, not something that they're going out of their way or that they, you know, that they're in their car and they put the cassette in. Yeah, because right. this is the one that I have chosen for this date. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean. Like, this is the like, mixtape like, movie, <laughs> High Fidelity, where he's making mixtapes. Yeah, like, you're making yeah. mixtapes. Yeah. Like, how did you organize your CDs? <laughs> Autobiographical. What? No. Yeah. <laughs> then that's the thing. So, so it meant you know there was a reason. You know, like I, I remember, on like the first date that I went on with my wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had it. I had my I had my music chosen. Yeah, like I knew what what needed to be <laughs> yes. in the car that night. Strategically chosen. Yeah. Yes, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because you, you have to make that impression. You had to You've be like this to, represents. It's got to be cool enough, but it can't be too obscure. Right. So, but so it's got to be something that's kind of cool, but it's got to have cool words. So she, you know, kind of yep. digs it. So you, you couldn't drop the ABBA or the Doc in her again. Yeah, you, you couldn't go out there. Yeah, you couldn't go. Yeah, the Captain Beefheart or something. Like, you ever, heard, you ever heard Miles Davis bitches brew? This is awesome. <laughs> she just jumps out of the car. Yeah, like, um, you so should have chosen something different. Uh, I don't know. This isn't my favorite Miles Davis album. <laughs> so, um, do you, do you remember the songs that were on that mixtape? It wasn't a mixtape. It was um, it was a Stone Roses oh, album. Stone Rose. yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. But That's yeah, I remember as we were listening to "This Is the One." She turned over and said, this is a good song. I was like, you're dang right it is. <laughs> nice. You're dang right. This is the perfect song. You were like, that's awesome. And now it's just like, oh, like, oh, it's an awesome video game. Like, I remember I was playing, like, GTA 4, and this came on, man. It's a great song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Slap the prostitute and carjack someone's car, and this was yeah. on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's but then, but... So, so you took the stone, stone roses, right? And so mm-hmm. you, you chose the music, but like, how do you, I guess in this day and age, and we're talking about listening to music in one way and a different way, like how, how are bands measuring success in this? Like, are they, cause I know, I noticed that, uh, you had had, uh, an interview, uh, like a couple of years ago where they were talking about, you know, nowadays people are so almost oversaturated with the availability of music mm-hmm. that people are just giving it away for free just to get any type of listen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so how can, how can. I mean, unless it's for the most part like top forty, how are 
musicians able to kind of climb above that noise to get to some modicum of quote unquote success? Commercials help some. Yeah. I think people are, I don't know, relying on that too much. But if you can get on a TV show sure. or anything, because here's something weird that happened to us. So have you seen that uh, Netflix show, Everything Sucks? Uh, that sounds, so. sounds okay. Well, it's the yeah, teens yeah. love it. Okay, gotcha. you got to oh, check okay. it out. So right. it's a um, it's a nineties teen oh, TV I have seen show. It suggested, I just hadn't. Okay, okay so but it came out in the nineties or it's no, like no, no, no. It's brand new, it's but it's oh, set original. in the nineties. That makes me so sad. Okay, so yeah, that's <laughs> the retro. whole thing because it feels <laughs> too weird. You're going, well, okay, wasn't this just like a minute ago? But anyway, so. Uh, we got contacted by that show. Can we use the thing? You know, it's 90s. And we're like, yeah, okay, cool. And they ran the scenario past me. And I thought, oh, that sounds kind of clever. That's a fun story. So in this particular episode, it features Breakfast at Tiffany's, a bunch. Mm-hmm. We added a million Spotify monthly listeners wow. in three months. Holy wow. crap. Yeah, Whoa. because of that show. Well, we think it's because that's I the mean, only sure. thing we can figure out. It was yeah. like out of the ordinary or whatever. That would have spiked it that much. But oh, a million. That's, yeah. Time, yeah. that's crazy. And so, and that's that's the kind of power that a TV show. Because these people, you have to assume these young people that are yeah. on Spotify, yeah. they may not have really ever heard it, which seems yeah. strange. But to right. them, they're like, this is, new, this is a new song. Because yeah. they've been exposed yeah, to yeah, it for yeah. the first time. Yeah. And now... They're engaging that Dude, way. That's, such, that's it's so, so weird, especially like a, a song that was as I don't know if pervasive is the right word. That it seemed like every time it, you, you would you would hear it, and you still hear it, you still hear it all the time. Like especially on on Sirius, for them to be like, I've it's never, I've never about, heard that. It's all about context, Because yeah. when you're in the grocery store and the music's playing, you're kind of hearing it. Yeah, yeah. but it's only every once in a while that you even pay attention to right. what's on. Yeah. But something about this engaged them. It was yeah. it, it because it's part of the story of this particular okay. episode. Okay. But yeah, mm. out of nowhere. Yeah. So that's that's, that's crazy. like the that's the second Netflix show that song's been on because it was on Orange's New Black a couple years ago too. Oh yeah, yeah. Now that was cool. But see, that's a much more adult audience, right? So mm-hmm. we did get a, a blip, you know, and there was you know we get lots of emails and all that kind of stuff. That was, but that was a little bit more predictable. Sure. This, this was, was nuts, yeah. and and again on a completely different platform, right. Spotify. You know, these kids. Mm, funny. Well, Andrew, where, where else are we headed? Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk about when talking about success, you had, so breakfast at Tiffany's topped at number one in the UK Mm -hmm. and it, it topped out at five, I think here, three, three. Um, and so what was that like kind of being on top of the pops? I actually watched the YouTube video of you guys on top of the pops today. Oh yeah. Yeah. You got some, (laughs) you got some cool hair, man. Thank you. (laughs) Well, okay. So top of the pops is super fun. Yeah. Okay. Because. You lip sync. Well, okay. I, actually, I take that back. You have the choice. Okay. So if you, uh, you have the choice to sing over a pre-recorded track, right, or lip sync. Mm-hmm. But we didn't have, you know, just the music only, because right, because when we were mixing the record, we didn't think to do that, so sure. we had to lip sync, and which is super weird when you've never really done it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the great thing is, there's no responsibility. Like, right. you don't have to worry. You're like, it's going to be perfect. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. Watch this. <laughs> so, okay, so you're, you're at the BBC, and it's, it seems super BBC-like. Right. Like, when you go in the doors, you're like, yes, this is exactly <laughs> what you expect it to be. But like, what, what, just Union Jacks and people drinking tea and stuff? <laughs> <or> <laughs> tea and crumpets. There's, <laughs> everything is very Cricket casual and, and yet I- incredibly formal. Wow. At the same time, yeah, you know what I'm saying, like yes, low yeah. key but formal. Yes. And yeah, there is tea. And yes, <laughs> there are runners awesome. that are going to go do this and that. And then within the BBC, there's actually a pub. Okay, so <laughs> whoa, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and so you do my language. <laughs> you do a rehearsal, you know, to where they can get the camera set and that kind of thing. And then you do another rehearsal with audio or something mm-hmm. it's it's an there's some reason that you do a second one and then you have a fairly decent window and so everybody goes to the pub right wow so all the other bands are kind of in there and you can eat and stuff and then they're they come in there okay let's go do the show and everybody's like okay and you walk <laughs> back across the little walkway and you go to your dressing room and they call you out one at a time and you know you kind of stand there in the wings and you watch the other band because there's like three or four different stages 
you know, so you're set up over here. So, you know, like as one band's playing, you're kind of standing there waiting to lip sync or whatever. And do they and, only do they only have like the top? Like, how did how did they determine it? Because I'm not too familiar with how they structured the show. Okay, so just a hit pause on that part. It's of the story. it's a little weird. Um, they they'll do like a feature thing. Okay. If they think something is gonna probably do well, right. they'll let you be on the show even though you're not in the charts yet or whatever. Okay, I got you. And so we got to do that. So that's introduced us. Um, And then we came back when... Uh, when we were number three, so okay. so it, it's all it's they get as many of the top ten as they can, okay. whoever's available, sure. and, and yeah, and then otherwise there's kind of s- some things, or they'll say, you know, they'll throw back to a couple of years before, or there's sure okay. just to kind of do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not okay, stri- it's not strictly a countdown except for the last five. Okay. Um, so we did it as a preview, and then we did it when we were three, two, and one. Nice. So we were on oh, there four cool. four times. Yeah, but yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, when they say, you know, and Deep Blue something, you are top of the pops. And, you, you know, because you're oh, number right. one. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's like, you know, cool. And, and you're just furiously lip syncing. <laughs> like, yeah. It's going to be the, the <laughs> this is going to be our best one yet. Guys, I can feel it. Yeah. That's awesome. So, but the, but the, 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 the episode where we were number one was awesome because Belinda Carlisle was on there. And Nick Beggs from Kajagoogoo was playing bass for her. Oh, wow. So I got to hang out because he came by this, the dressing room and like stuck his head and say, and say like, congratulations, guys. I was going, dude, <laughs> <laughs> you're Nick Beggs. He's like, you recognize me? I said, yeah, man. And so we got, I got to geek out. We traded that's bases. And, oh, that's you awesome. know, Belinda Carlisle yeah. is just standing there rolling her eyes going, you're just nerds. Look at this. <laughs> look at the state of you. Because yeah. we're kneeled down in the hallway. The BBC is like, the action on this is really interesting. All this weird. So that was super cool. And, you know, met Phil Collins. Because he was oh, on wow. there, yeah, wow. it was it was really really cool, um, but yeah, no responsibility. It's not like <laughs> when you're on the Tonight Show and you're going, "Holy crap!" Like we're really about to do this, right? You know, it's a different vibe altogether. Were you guys on the Tonight Show? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh good. wow! I was trying to look up appearances on YouTube. Not everything was on there, so yeah, Tonight Show was good. Um, we were on Conan, which was one of the. F- early episodes when he took over for Letterman, wow. which I thought was okay. I thought yeah. we kind of played it a little fast. Okay. But it, that was like our first TV th- thing. Okay. That's awesome. It's but like that in that thing really you weird. do where it's like the drummer takes it like super fast. It just and goes it's like, crazy. Dude, it's like, yeah. No, but, no, it's not that speed. But the Conan thing, you know, in Letterman's old theater, we were amazed because it was, it's tiny. Yeah. It's this tiny, tiny space. Wow. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> You know, uh, it was oh, oh, that's what it was. It was talking about the chapter of subtraction by multiplication. And he talked oh. about having 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 multiple kids. And uh, I know you spoke about this on on Twitter last night as well. But uh, you've been kind of going chapter by chapter online about your book and kind of giving some backstory, which has been awesome. But what I really appreciate about that book has been like you talk about. It's great to have more kids because they'll take care of themselves, they'll fend for themselves, and uh, you don't have to entertain them. And uh, I have two kids, and I can speak uh, uh, speak truth to that that they uh, entertain themselves. And I feel I gained about twenty five percent more energy when they started <laughs> entertaining themselves, and I didn't have to be the sole court jester in my house. And, yes. And but but it's something that I appreciate. You have a moment where you talk about only children. That's that's the point that I'm driving at. And you you specifically I'm trying to pull up the quote here, but you specifically talk about the fact that, you know, if you want to have only one child and, you know, there's additional reasons or or what have you, then that's fine. And you're not saying that you're a bad parent because you only had one child. But the fact that you said only children are great at getting along with adults because that's who they interact with at home. But only children sometimes find interacting with other kids challenging in their own home. An only child is the center of the universe. They never have to share toys or compete for attention. But other kids won't treat your child that way. Narcissism isn't a team sport. And so there's humor in that, but there's some true powerful statement in that. And I just kind of wanted you to kind of talk through a bit about what kind of drove you to, to lay that out. Obviously, you have multiple children. You have four daughters and you come from a family of seven. But kind of speak a little bit more to that because it was very powerful and it's something that I have seen both as a kid and as a parent with with some only children. 
Yeah, and there are a lot. I mean, who am I to judge an entire class of people? I mean, there right. there are great only children out there. Uh, but in my experience, and just anecdotally, it seems like only children they they seem like they grow up faster because they're they're used to talking to adults. Uh, right. But then the second you leave the room, they're the ones fighting with your kids because they've never had to share. And uh, I think there's a line that you know my kids they fight all the time, but they're stuck in the same family. You can you can't take your ball and go home. Like they're there and they have to work out these disputes one way or the other because at the end of the day they're family. And I think that's an advantage that only kids don't have. They don't have anybody to have it out with. If they have a falling out with somebody, they might not see that kid again. Uh, so they're, they're at a bit of a disadvantage to just basically figure out how unfair life is and how to kind of be one of a multitude rather than being the center of the world. So so I think it is an adjustment for a lot of them. Hey, you know, only I, I know lots of only children as adults who are great people. At the same time, I think they would agree with you that as a child, that can certainly be challenging. And it's definitely a challenge for the parents because you end up, you know, you always have to have a friend over and a friend is always more work than your own kid you can't right. you can't discipline them like your own kid you got to be on your best behavior you got to entertain them it's just a it's a huge amount of work so i'm a big fan of multiple kids if you want one kid that's great that's fine just don't only have one child because you think it's less work have it for some other great reason uh but less work shouldn't be one of them right and one of the points that i really appreciate in your book is you talked about the hardest the hardest transition is from zero kids to one kid and yes. that is so <laughs> true, especially now when people are saying, oh, well, now you're having a kid, so you've got to get the best stuff. And I, I appreciated your age breakdown as far as the, the bare minimum parenting, where you talk about teen years, early 20s, late 20s, 30s, 40s. <laughs> I think you even threw 50s in there. Oh, yes. Yeah. If you're <laughs> an act of God. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it happens, and it, it's kind of a curve. When you, if you have kids really young, you've got all the energy and none of the money, and then there's kind of a peak where you have, you know, as you go, you have less energy but more money, and then at the end of your life, you might not have energy or money. You might be out of both. Uh, so, but, so there are advantages to each. But I, I, what it was really in response to is there's some people like, well, we're just not ready for having a kid, and there is no such thing. You will never have enough money for a kid. You will never have enough experience. Never enough energy. Never enough time. But generation after generation for hundreds of thousands of years, humans just make it work. You rise to the occasion. We always have and we always will. So if you're hesitating out there until you get that next big promotion or until you finish that big trip to Europe or you buy the bigger house, don't wait. I mean, if it's not the right time for you for some other reason, that's fine. But if it's not the right time for some material materialistic reason like that, I would throw out that reasoning. You really don't want to. And, and I'm a big fan of younger rather than older. I mean, the math works out differently for everybody else's family. But you don't want to be the, you know, the 50 or 60 year old with a kindergartner. That just... <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a big burden for everybody. But, you know, in mixed families and things like that, you end up with situations like that where grandma or grandpa is raising the kid. It happens and they're raised great and their parents love them. But I think if you had a choice, that's probably not the ideal situation to be in. I think overall, you're better off to be younger with less money uh, and have the kids. I think the lack of money will never will never hurt you too bad. Right. Exactly. Uh, I had so my wife and I, we started having kids kind of how old is that? I was 27 when my daughter was born. So it's that it unfortunately was in that peak where it was like, oh, you have uh, about the right amount of energy, a little bit less, but you have too much money. So there were definitely a few things that we got sucked into buying top mm -hmm. of the line style because it was like, oh, well, you know, we want our kid to have the best. And then our son came along and we're like, you know what? I think we are fine. I think yeah. uh, we're okay. It, isn't it amazing how quickly that money disappears? It's like, oh, we finally have enough money for our kid. And then instead of buying your regular stroller, you buy the super duper stroller and that right. money's gone. Like you didn't right. gain any ground. No. You've got the, the running jogger and it also is a car seat and it also <laughs> like protects you from the wind and the sun and the rain. And it also, also a jet fighter and all that, right. a transformer, all that good stuff. Take you back to 1955, whatever. <laughs> Actually, if it could, it might be worth the investment. Maybe. Um, only that. Maybe. maybe. Uh, one, one, another question I wanted to ask you was, how does this book differ from your previous book? This book actually kind of proved a point. I mean, the, the other book, it was fun, but it didn't necessarily have a huge overarching argument other than the fact that parents are a lot tougher than you give them yourselves credit for. And you can handle yourself in any situation, including the zombie apocalypse. I, I think that raising a kid is hard no matter where you are. And if you add zombies to the situation, it might be – your solutions might be a little different, but you can still handle them. And I guess in that sense, the, the new book is the same. I'm saying you're going to overcome this stuff, but now the challenges aren't undead monsters. They're other parents, but, you know, which might even be harder 
harder to deal with. You know, it's oh, the yeah. PTA parent shaming and the internet shaming and and all that kind of stuff. All this pressure coming in to have you always do the best and be the best and put your kid first. And and you can put your kid first, I think, without losing your entire life into them. Uh, that if there was one takeaway from this, I think it's not bad to not always have your kid be the center of the universe all the time. It's okay for them to be a member of the family and not the entire family. And I think that would be so much better for kids if they could accept that fact. They're part of a team. They're not the team. You know, we and we've covered this a couple times on this show in various ways, but as far as political climate or yeah, fear mongering or, or what have you, it, there's a lot that divides us as yeah. as as people, as Americans, and just as human beings. And and it, the only way in which we're going to come together is really what you reference, kind of right at the end of the book, where you talk about the only way for people to grow in empathy toward their neighbor is to listen put in the work, yeah. be willing to have their hearts and minds broken and opened. And I cannot speak like, I mean, that is so true. The best conversations I've had with people across the spectrum of views has been when we've just sat down, broke bread, had a drink and just yeah. hashed it out. And it, you know, I, I wouldn't say that everybody's thoughts or change or their views are going to be different versus like how yeah. they're voting or whatever. But, but you start to understand the why. Why, why do you have this fear? Why do you have this unrest? Why do you have this feeling or this uh, view that you've come to? And, and maybe you, by sharing, you know, by breaking bread with me, you understand a little bit more about where I'm coming from and we can work yeah. together. But it's, it's so hard when everybody's in an echo chamber and it's, it's hard to combat that. How do you, how do you try and bridge that gap in your, in your day-to-day life when you interact with people? that may not be on the same wavelength as you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it really all comes down to conversations. You know, it's so easy to, to, to drag people on social media because yeah. they, maybe they misspoke or they said something that uh, offended us. But it's like, if we're in, the, if we're in the same room with that person and we're, like you said, breaking bread, having a drink, just having a conversation, like we realize that we have a lot more in common than we have differently. At the end of the day, we all, we all bleed. We all are affected by the same things. We all love our families. We all want the best um, for our, for our kids and our spouses and our, you know, and our families and friends and stuff. And at the end of the day, like, it really all comes down to the things that we have in common. And I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm on a daily basis. I live in Atlanta now, and it's uh, it's I'm from Miami. You know, that's where I, I grew up and stuff. Right. And I've been in Atlanta now for the, like the last year. And it's been um, a bit of a culture shock in the sense that the community I grew up in or the city I grew up in is very Caribbean. So like the Spanish people are from all different parts of Latin America. Um, the black people are from all different parts of like the Caribbean and, right. uh, and that kind of stuff where here it's like, there's not very many different um, countries represented as far as like the Latin community. Yeah. And then like the African American community is just like, like American black, like there's, you won't find like a lot of like Haitians or like Jamaicans. Oh, sure. You know, so for, for me, that was like a little bit of a culture shock when I first got here, even though I'd been to Atlanta, um, like for stints, um, in short periods, like a lot of times, um, when you're here for a while, you start to really like get in touch with the different communities and it's like, what are we going to eat? I really would really like some Jamaican food right now. (laughs) And I, you know, you've had jerk chicken. (laughs) Yeah. You, you find it, but you got to look a little harder. So, um, but it's again, it just all comes down to just being a part of a community and kind of like injecting yourself into these conversations and and learning, learning from people that are not like you. Right. You know, and, and I think that that's that's the key. That's what makes the world a better place. Not to sound like all like Hallmark. Hallmark right. Right. But like, <laughs> that's what it really Give the what world a Coke. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a cheesy campaign, but it, it's accurate in that. Like if you just share something with somebody, then you can start the conversation. But, uh, but yeah, I, uh, yeah. one thing I find that divides a lot of people, especially down here in, in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, where you're firmly in like the, 
buckle of the Bible belt is what we used to describe it as, um, (laughs) is, is religion. And and a lot of people are, you know, uh, they recognize the fact that America is founded on religious freedom, but when it's not their religion, they tend to bristle up at it. And, and I find that is one of the hardest gaps I have as a person in my day-to-day life with my friends and people I interact with, it's a big bridge I have to ha- have to divide. And so I, I start tapping into what I feel because I'm a very spiritual person. And so I, mm-hmm. I feel, and, and your section and to the point I'm getting at to not bury the lead is you have this, this section in here where you talk about being invited to church and how you talked about you always felt like you'd seen the devil multiple times in, in various manners growing up, but this seeing everybody worshiping together and hearing people speak these words of power, it was a very ethereal moment. And you felt this is, I'm, I'm, I've met the devil now I'm meeting God. And it tapped into the spiritual part where you even talked later about, you know, for you, it was always about words, hip hop artists were writing these really impactful, powerful words and, and poems. And you're also seeing a lot of that echoed in specific biblical passages too. So for me, when I'm trying to bridge that gap on a spiritual level, I try and tap into how I'm able to experience God or, you know, uh, tap into my spiritual essences. And, and what I'm getting at it here is how are you able to kind of bake in your spirituality into your interactions, your writings, what you do. I mean, Chance the Rapper, who you reference, and he's my yeah. one of my top three favorite rappers, bakes God into his raps and everything he does. And it's so cool just seeing him interweave that. So I want to know kind of what do you take from those passages, kind of take us through that journey, and then also how do you yeah. weave all that into your day-to-day? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I didn't grow up in church. Um, we, we'd go to, you know, Catholic mass every now and then. Sure. Um, and my mom would always say that our house was like a Catholic house and stuff, but it wasn't like something that was practiced all the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I was messing up a lot and I remember being, uh, uh, like in high school and just some kids that I played basketball with and had a, like a mutual, uh, affection for like hip hop and, and sports and different things we had a lot in common. I remember they invited me to, to the youth group and I didn't think twice when I said, yeah, I'll go because it, it was like someone inviting you to the movies. You know? right. it, it was, <laughs> yeah. I didn't think of it as anything different. Yeah. It didn't feel strange at the time because I really had no concept of what like, what is church youth group? Yeah. was in this, in this context. Cause like, these are like young people, like 16, seven, you know, 17 years old, uh, church. I mean, okay, this sounds interesting. You know, I didn't right. really, think too much about it and I remember walking in this room and there's just like a few hundred teenagers that like look like me or dress like me people I recognize I'm like yo like what in the world is this This has no this doesn't look anything like the church I remember going to like a Spanish service that's like four hours long right and you're just like dreading every moment of it you know so like from that from then on began you know a relationship with like these young people who became like my best friends to this day and you know, relationship with God and faith is a, is a big part of my life and stuff. And, and I, and, I, you know, as a writer and, and even as a book critic, I mean, I write for NPR and stuff and, and every now and then, like when it comes or when I'm like spurred to, I try to inject some of that stuff in, you know, not necessarily in, in criticism in, of books or anything, but like in, in essays or whatever, like I've written stuff for NPR, like the power of hymns or, you know, just the beauty of that language. Like there's nothing like, a beautifully brought yeah. hymn, you know, just like that language, the power that it carries. And that's something that attracted me to church early on. Cause like you mentioned that, you know, that passage for me, it was, it was always about the words. Right. So in the same way that I was attracted to like public enemy and, and the anger and, and, and the words that were used, it, it was the same thing with like kind of those initial um, experiences in church where, where they were reading like these, um, you know, proverbs and psalms, and I was like, "This is dope! Like, this sounds like the Fugees, or <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like this exactly. sounds like, um, uh, you know, like out, like early outcasts, or yeah. like Goody Mob, where like they would have like these interludes where like they're praying and like it's there's all this like spiritual imagery and biblical imagery and stuff, and I was, I was attracted to it, but I didn't understand some of those lyrics until I started going to church, and I was like, oh wow, like this is not actually a real originally a goody mob lyric. Like this is a song, right? To one of their verses and stuff. So I started to kind of make those connections. Um, and that's what really kept me kind of 
continuing going to church early on. Yeah. Um, and then I just, in, from that moment on, I had like more personal experiences that were kind of more, um, kind of touching in, in, in more personal ways as opposed to just references to other art forms or whatever. That's awesome. You know? Um, I... So, yeah. It's been fine this way for, you know, my favorite, my favorite, <laughs> uh, I guess, colloquialism that I hear is, look, it was fine back when I was a kid. Well, no, it wasn't. It's just nobody said anything. <laughs> no. right. um, now, talking about... Uh, the studies one that is one thing that I wanted to really commend commend the the board for doing and helping to pass was the 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 Latinx studies and that was something that I know that several students went down to Austin to speak on on uh, the board's behalf if I if I recall correctly about passing that so that way they would have better representation within history uh, within their schools. And yeah, that, absolutely. There's a beautiful part to that. Um, it was for the Mexican-American studies. And again, our My Brother's Keeper chapters have been having these conversations in, the, in, in their schools to where we're also having conversations about when do we stand in solidarity with one another. And the, the, the students are becoming aware that the State Board of Education had been entertaining uh, changing the narrative around slavery to indentured servitude. And so our, our Latino students said, no, that's not cool. We got to call it what it is. Right. And so right. Our, our black students obviously were not okay with that. And so one day was specifically talking about the Mexican-American studies, and our black students said, we will stand in solidarity with our brown brothers. So all four, two black, two brown, spoke on each subject together to demonstrate to the State Board of Education that if one of us isn't safe, then none of us are safe. And so that's, in essence, what happened down in Austin, Texas, when our My Brother's Keeper went down to what we say. We call it speaking their truth. They went down there to speak their truth, and I think that a lot of people paid attention. Absolutely. One of the things that I, you know, it, it's it, it's tough because I, I when I was doing research for this, and, and I had seen this past before because I, I follow the, the 4th ISD and I follow you as well on social media, but it's... It, it almost got lost in the shuffle because during the time when that was approved was also the time when there were all the headlines about to remove certain uh, female uh, historical figures from the curriculum and in an effort to, to streamline learning. And it, it's frustrating because you have on the one hand, such a positive moment where they are approving the, uh, the ethnic studies, Mexican American studies course while at the same time voting to streamline a lot of, you know, like I know two of the names that had been picked up were Helen Keller and Hillary Clinton as two people to remove from history books, uh, as just as an example. But it's how do you, I guess, how do you as a school board member balance the the wins and losses, or not so much wins and losses, but maybe uh, gains and losses for what appears to be learning for your students, you know, trying to enjoy the the, the fact that something finally got approved while also keeping an eye on some things that are being taken away. Uh, how do you kind of balance those two? You know, the balance is, is honestly that as a student of history and knowing how things play out is that the fights, the fight's never going to be, be, it's never going to be easy. And as we're trying to cover up one set of holes, another set of holes will be made. And so I think that at this point, Part of the strategy is to ensure that young people are conscious and woke to where they themselves are going to do the advocating, right? The adults, I very well could go away and ride off into the sunset. <clears throat> I could lose an election. Uh, any, a lot of things could happen. But more and more young people becoming conscious and speaking their truth and holding the system accountable. I think that's the ultimate strategy and the game plan of what we, we seek to do so this, this work isn't for the weak. Uh, this work right here requires a heck of a lot of energy. Uh, in current conversations, we, we call them the three Ps. They're passion, practice, and persistence. So we have to have a lot of passion. We have to be practicing and doing the work. And we have to be persistent in ensuring that the system is adjusted and recalibrated to better serve the children that, that it was hopefully going to be redesigned to serve. Right. 
<clears throat> one of the things that I noticed, uh, still speaking on education, is when uh, there was a part where Betsy DeVos got into, I guess, maybe a, a little bit of hot water, and that's speaking about Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, stating that local communities and schools should decide whether to call federal authorities on students lacking immigration status. And that was something where I noticed that the the fourth ISD back in 2017 approved a resolution declaring schools welcoming and safe to all students, regardless of their immigration status, essentially stating that, you know, constitutionally speaking, all children have the right to enroll in public schools, regardless of their immigration status. Under our nation's civil rights laws, schools cannot be in the business of immigration enforcement or discrimination. And so kind of my question to that is, should, you know, Ms. DeVos's comments have been more geared towards as the education secretary, should her focus be more on improving schooling as a whole, as opposed to, you know, possibly saying something that may have been her opinion that is ended up causing students to kind of to live in fear until this kind of this resolution, for example, by the fourth ISD school board was put into place. Yeah. So the simple answer is is exactly what you said towards the end. <laughs> Uh, she and a number of other leaders in our country are going off of opinions and not actually off of facts and what the laws of the land say. Um, so, yeah, what we're dealing with, uh, if, if you're going to leave it up to us locally, then that's what we're going to say locally. But we also recognize and understand that the rules are changed at any given time when uh, a majority of people in power are not content. So that could change uh, on any given day. But you ask us locally, we put it out there. Right. We're not in the business of immigration. Yep. And, you know, it's just one of those things kind of kind of pivoting on, like, I guess, semi-controversial topics. One thing that really caught my eye recently, because we are in, you know, in the midst of high school football season, and there was an article that came out right before the start of it about how 4th ISD is going to address potential national anthem protests. Essentially, whether or not students need to stand or if they're allowed or kneel or peacefully protest in some other way, how will that be handled? You, you see it across the country. People have a very specific opinion uh, one way or the other. But I know that the district came out and said that the district is strongly encouraging all students to respect and obey the law, but that there is no law requiring people to stand for the anthem. And I know that you had been quoted as saying uh, if students choose to take a knee or protest in another peaceful manner, Fourth ISD will not be disciplining those young people. And I think one thing that I really appreciated, as far as a school board standpoint says, is that look, you know, we stand behind our students. Our job, first and foremost, is to be educators and caretakers of our students. And that if they choose to protest, as long as it's peaceful and doesn't violate any laws, then what harm is there in that? And and I think people get lost in the shuffle on a national standpoint, thinking that it's a disgrace or, or that it's you know, somehow insulting to our veterans. But I think you, know, you and the other school board members said it, said it well when they stated that, when you say that if they choose to protest in a peaceful manner, it's not, it's not wrong. It's, it's their right as, as Americans and as, as young people as well. Yeah, the, the, again, the law is really clear on this for public school education setting. And, and I wasn't speaking, obviously, to anything related to the NFL or, or right. as, as an NFL owner or, or any of that. I knew, I knew that once I saw that the way the title came out in the local paper, uh, I knew that that was probably geared towards getting some clicks. And oh, it, sure. it's, I'm pretty sure it got the clicks that it deserved. I also then felt compelled to accept the invitations from the local media to go on camera and to speak what we tell our young people, speak truth to power. And so I, I'm constantly catching myself in situations where I'm having to model what courageous conversations work looks like. Uh, and, and also understanding that I represent a 90 plus percent Latinx community. So any other group who opposes what I'm saying or what I'm trying to get across is really almost sometimes irrelevant in that I know where I live and I know who I answer to, right? So in, in my community, uh, these are hot topics, and they're not usually seen eye to eye with people that are in positions of power. 
And we have plenty of veterans in our community as well. So I knew that addressing that head on, I was going to stick to the facts. And the facts were we have constitutional laws that protect our students, that allow them to protest peacefully. And at the end of the day, I really do believe that that's the country that uh, I'm privileged to live in and partake in in society because we do have that opportunity. And again, I'm going to go back to history. I know that when the narrative doesn't fit those in positions of power, there is a, a quick move to try to um, undo that. And, and another example is going to be SB4. You know, people of, uh, pr pr primarily brown, brown people uh, were walking around fearing, still fearing uh, laws like that because once the positions uh, or the people in positions of power can't get what they want and how they want it and they see those numbers are just blowing up with my community uh, um, becoming a majority – it's almost as if we really do expect these kinds of laws and policies to come in play. So I sit in a position of power and authority as a school board trustee that I do have the opportunity to speak on it, and I don't, I don't take that lightly. So this wasn't a knock on our veterans. This was really just an opportunity and a, and a teaching moment for our students who are saying, Mr. Ramos, if you really say you're about young people, let's see what you got. Right. Let's see what you're about. And so going on camera was an opportunity to be able to speak directly to that issue. And I I have my own opinions about all of that, but this wasn't about my opinions. This was about speaking to what the letter of the law is. And that's kind of a, a long rambly way to say, how do you think we can start to change the conversation? I, I know it, these are these are businesses. And so all, there's businesses, there's marketing, there's movies, there's a lot of factors that you had mentioned go into these key decisions. But how do you feel that we as a society or as people can start changing the conversation to where we get the message out of, hey, we don't really care if it's a boy or a girl toy, just give toys and and if you have a couple options, you could just say, these are the options we have and let people choose. Like, how do you think we get to that point as a, as a, as a people? So I, I think that, uh, first of all, I think your answer in that situation is fantastic. I wish I had thought <laughs> of it at the time. As I said, I was, I was just caught so, I was so baffled by what was happening that I, I it catches you off guard. Yeah. Why I was responding. Right. Uh, now that said, I feel that even if the kids don't care necessarily. I feel like that is an opportunity to have on, on the front line of customer service to have a conversation and, and, and address the issue. Right. And that's going to work its way up the chain. And if enough people do that, like you use the example of target, that was a huge thing for us. We had a, a little bit of a tangent here, but my oldest one, uh, I'm not gonna say the brand name, but it's pretty obvious what it is, but one of those fake ovens, yeah. <laughs> uh, he wanted one so badly when he was younger. Right. And it was in the aisle that was designated in Target before they changed it over. Uh, that was the, the, the girl aisle. Mm -hmm. And it, every, every box that this product came in only had girls on it. They were only pink or purple. And I kept telling him that it didn't matter, that we could get it. And he would not get it because he didn't think he was allowed to. Yes, yes. Not that, and that was really uh, frustrating. It really angered me in terms of that that was a message that he was getting from that. And I, I even one time, I recall, and he freaked out because he thought we were going to get in trouble, I guess. I'm not sure. He was quite young, so I don't know what he thought the consequences would be. But he just felt that it was not something that we could do. And at the end of the day, it's a piece of plastic with a light bulb in it. So right. what we did is go home and we learned he learned to bake at home and he still bakes to this day all the time. Yeah. Um, which um, that's not to say that product would have also uh, had that same, uh, you know, that he would have had the same love that he does now. And he probably would have. That's the whole point of it, I assume. Right. But just the fact that, that he felt that he couldn't have that. And that was right it was shortly thereafter. That whole Target thing started with uh, about the time like President Obama had gift uh, a toy drive, and he made it very clear that the toys should not be uh, assorted as 
gender specific. Right. And it was within a very short time that Target followed suit with their. So things like that, I, I feel that if, if enough people speak up and and show that it's something that they're concerned about or that it isn't necessary or or just wrong, that eventually companies are going to listen. Right. Absolutely. So I think it's, it's, you, you had a really great point where you talked about your son noticed the packaging on the, the, this particular toy that he wanted to purchase. And, and he felt he didn't want, even though no matter what you said, it didn't matter because he felt he wasn't allowed to get it. So is maybe, and, and I had a similar experience with something when I was a kid as well. So I completely empathize with that situation and, and how, how disheartening it is for the kid and how disheartening it is for the parents, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I just wonder if maybe the, maybe the path forward to, to, to echo your sentiment, if with regards to speaking up and saying, hey, we want change is, is maybe the first step for some of these companies to, to think about a complete, uh, you know, and I think maybe it's individual, right? But I, I think maybe the way forward could be something where they look at how they're marketing or how they are packaging or, you know, do you have a mixture of, of boys and girls on your product? Do you not have kids playing on it? Do you just have the details about it? How are you packaging it? I think for so many of these companies, they're so rooted in the way things have been that it's going to be hard for some of these specific companies to to shift gears a bit and think, oh, these toys really are for everybody. So we need to include everybody. But I think I think maybe that that might be the way forward is is thinking about, all right, we the people, <laughs> we the people are 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 uh dissatisfied um, um, right right <laughs> you just you said president obama i'm we the people and, right right we the people we the good parents of america uh are dissatisfied with the way you are currently branding and packaging your products but i think maybe the next step is to say is to offer up next steps that companies could do and you know they may or may not take anybody up on that but i think that might be the next step because I've heard a couple of companies, not in this specific situation, but in others, where they say it's great that people don't like this, but what should you know, like? What would be better? What is next? What right. is something you know we need to have next? I think for the next steps, it's say okay. Well, I think you need to logistically think: should you repackage everything, color-wise, or kid-wise, or everything, and just decide and then push it forward, and then just let people decide they want it or they don't and and maybe go from there but you know who am i you know i'm not uh i'm not on the marketing and branding team for uh this company so you know but <laughs> but, but you are the consumer right i am the uh you're, you're the dollar bill that they want so that's right i'm more of the, the two dollar bill ever elusive but very very <laughs> yeah. uh very uh, uh highly sought after i feel <laughs> yes yes uh well it's funny is that it wasn't that long after that whole incident with the with the oven that a toy came out that was also geared by all of its packaging and and every ad and it was this uh, like a loom where kids could knit with rubber bands various things. Okay. And it was 100% all in on being a girl toy, and yet my son and pretty much every boy within throwing distance uh, seemed to be really into it. And that was when that was the first time that I saw him uh, be okay and comfortable enough to say, you know what, that toy is awesome. I don't care if it's supposed to be for a girl. I like it. I'm going to play with it. Yeah. And that, that was a huge thing for us. That's awesome. Uh, something that when you were um, talking about reaching out to companies, I, I think one of the tools that we have now that, and granted we're, the conversation is different anyway, so it may not have mattered had we had this tool previously, but it is just social media and being able to reach out to brands in a way that we couldn't do previously. And we see it all the time where this company or that company is being called out or praised for, for this or that. Yeah. And that isn't something that we would have had access to 10, 15 years ago because it, it just wasn't an option. Yeah, that's but now if a, if a company does something that you're not happy with, for better or worse, you can let the world know. And depending on uh, your platform, you know, more world uh, 
than, than others, I guess. It's yeah. awesome to have kids too. Yeah, it's yeah, fun. It you know, really it's, is, we're talking yeah. about it here on a dad yeah, podcast. Exactly, you know? so, exactly. Right. That's so awesome. Now I know that there were some uh, some issues you didn't necessarily uh, foresee when you adopted your son. Can you talk us through a little sure. bit about that as yeah, well? Yeah, no question. So we we did not know um, what we were facing with Hudson when when we adopted him. Um, about six to eight months after he was born, we noticed that he was not progressing uh, the way that most babies would switching into toddler mode. He was right. not sitting up. He wasn't crawling. He wasn't, you know, his head was very droopy. Sure. He had a lot of locked arms sticking up. Mm-hmm. And so we just, we went to the internet, you know, we were Googling and right. it's like, I mean, of course it's Which, which is all, always not the best thing to it's, do. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. You know, you're getting all these, but the same thing kept popping up and it was cerebral palsy, you yeah. know? And so my wife and I talked to his pediatrician and she was like, I think it's really early to think that that's what this is. But if you want to go see an, a pediatric neurologist, we can do that. And I said, I guess. And my wife's like, let's do it. You know, sure. kind of, so we're yeah. going to do it just to make sure. And we did. And when we met with the pediatric neurologist, she just kind of moved his arms and legs and like, you know, for about 10 minutes, I'm sure there was much more to it, but I'm saying just standing there, I'm right. thinking that it was not much. And she just sat us down and said, yeah, he has CP. So he has cerebral palsy and it was a, it was a game changer. You know, we have, we had no idea at the time that it could be the worst case scenario with that. Right. Um, but when you hear your son very likely is not going to walk, he's not going to be able to use, have full function of his arms. Yeah. Uh, he's probably never going to talk because the type of CP that he has, okay, the type of brain injury question. he has, okay. is called schizencephaly. And what it is, is it impacts um, the motor skills in the face a lot, you okay. know, so eating is a challenge. And so that's why he has a feeding tube through okay. his stomach that we use. And uh, speaking is very rare for kids who have this type or people who have this type of brain injury. So when you hear that kind of a thing, I mean, that is, it changes your perspective quite a bit. Sure. You know, it's, um, it, it's been, it's been hard to this point. I mean, he's three and a half and we're still, we still struggle with a lot of times why this happened and to him and to us in sure. that way. Um, but I will tell you uh, that I, I wouldn't change it now. Yeah. You know, at the time, I don't know if I would have said yes. You know, my wife says that she would w- have wanted to say yes, and I believe her because she has that kind of a heart. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but me personally, that would have been really hard to sign up for that at the time. Yeah. But, you know, I'm a big believer that things happen for a reason and that God has a plan. And I think that there's a reason we have our son and that if, if I had known that I might have said no, and now I'm really glad that I didn't know because I couldn't say no, right. you know, and here yes. we are now and we're extremely close. Our family has bonded in a way that's hard to explain to people who don't have a kid in their, in their home that has special needs. Sure. But our daughter just looks out for our son and has his back in a way that it's really, it's really special. It's pretty awesome to see that. And, um, you know, other, other kids and, and other friends that we have, their kids are learning, you know, how to interact with a child with special needs as well. Sure. And he's flying past expectations. You know, he has a wheelchair that he controls with his head with which way he touches and sure. it goes forward and back and side to side. He has a communication device that he looks at. It's like an iPad that uh-huh. looks and reads his eyes of what he's looking at and it vocalizes what's on the screen. Oh, and, that's really cool. I mean, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, and he's doing it and yeah. he's learning how to do these things at three years old. And with the way technology in the world is moving. Yeah. There, I mean, he has a much better chance at um, being able to have some personal space and ability to do things on his own than even five years ago yeah. with the future of self-driving cars and Alexa and things like that. Yeah. And um, all of this can be controlled with his communication device that he can speak through his eyes looking at the screen. It's it's a really, really interesting, cool thing. But yeah, that was that was definitely one of the hardest days of my life, hearing that about your son it was a gut punch, you yeah. know, but it's something that we have really kind of come together and bonded quite a bit since that day. And we've gotten much closer. And we also, I think, don't take things for granted as much, you know, yeah. because we see what a struggle it is for him to do certain things on a day-to-day aspect. And it's like, really, I'm not going to get to the gym, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, my, right, you know, right, like right. I mean, yeah, come yeah, on, you yeah. know, so things like that, you know, I don't take for granted as often as I used to. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com.
You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Detox Podcast, or visit DetoxPodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com.